Christchurch, New Malden, Sunday the 30th of October 2022, 9.30 service. Stephen Kurt speaking on Getting the Most Out of Halloween. Okay, so this morning's subject, Getting the Most Out of Halloween. A provocative title, and one rather different from the others in this series. So getting the most out of worship, getting the most out of sermons, getting the most out of personal time with God, all very appropriate and hopefully helpful. Getting the most out of service, getting the most out of giving, slightly more uncomfortable, but of course still appropriate. But getting the most out of Halloween, how on earth can that be an appropriate title for a sermon in church? Some will see it as inappropriate because they believe the church should have nothing to do with what they see as a rather horrible celebration of evil especially one that's so influential upon our children. But then there's others at the opposite extreme who will see it as equally inappropriate because they will think that when it comes to things like Halloween, the church needs to chill out and realise how daft it is, not to mention disastrous for its PR, to put a downer on a bit of harmless fun. Now, I won't ask this morning for hands up on where you stand in regard to those two positions. I did think it might be interesting to have a vote. But I would imagine that all of us here are nearer to one of those positions than the other. And as with everything about our Christian faith, it's really important that we're honest about this. And I might add that the ironic thing is when both ends of that spectrum collude in making sure that the subject of the church and Halloween isn't addressed. Nearly 20 years of living in New Malden has taught me that avoiding unpleasantness or disagreement is so important to our culture that that sort of unholy alliance happens quite a lot. But it is an appropriate subject to think about. And that's because whatever its rights and wrongs, in fact, precisely through its rights and wrongs, Halloween provides us with an opportunity to engage with things that we normally don't, to engage with things that we normally, in our culture, avoid. Really serious stuff, in fact, that we ignore, I believe, at our peril, and which we really benefit from being forced to confront. And it starts off with this, the roots and development of Halloween. See, the roots of Halloween, it might surprise you to discover, are thoroughly Christian and lie in two Christian festivals which grew up during the Middle Ages, during the medieval period. And those festivals were these, All Saints Day on the 1st of November and All Souls Day on the 2nd of November. And to understand what this is all about, we need to engage with some of the thinking at the time. You see, the medieval church, this is a little bit of history for you, the medieval church believed that there were three categories that existed within the church. And uh, here they are, onto the next slide. The medieval understanding of the church, there were three parts to it. And the first was this, the church militant. That was the word that was used to describe the church of people like us on earth at the moment, the people who were understood to still being struggling, to still being uh, still struggle with the powers of evil within the world. So that was the church militant. But then there was the church triumphant. 
And that was understood as Christians who'd led lives of such great holiness and goodness that they had gone straight to heaven after they died. These people were described as saints or hallows because of their holiness and included figures within the Bible like St. Mary, St. Peter and St. John, but also later figures such as St. Francis and St. Teresa who were declared to be saints by the church. So they were the church triumphant. But those saints who'd been holy and good enough, so the understanding went, to go straight to heaven weren't too numerous, meaning that a far greater number of Christians comprised a third group, and that was called the church expectant. And this was understood as those Christians who'd done enough to avoid hell, but not enough to go straight to heaven. Unlike the saints, unlike the especially holy, these people were sent off to a place called purgatory, where the sins that they'd committed during their lifetimes were being gradually purged, and when this process was finally complete, they could take their place in heaven, along with the church triumphant. And you'll probably know already, perhaps from history that you did at school, that various practices developed in the Middle Ages to help people minimalise or cut down on their time in purgatory. There were prayers that could be said for those who were dead to help them. There were masses, communion service that could be held for them. And it was all about helping those people who were in purgatory to have their time reduced so they could move on to heaven. And all of this was the basis of All Saints Day on the 1st of November, when the saints were remembered, the church triumphant, and All Souls Day on the 2nd of November, when those in purgatory, the church expectant, were. And the night before all of this began, the 31st of October, became known as All Hallows' Eve, or to shorten it, Halloween. And various rituals then developed for Halloween, including people dressing up in black to mourn those who died, and children calling on people's houses to receive soul cakes in return for praying for those who were dead. Now, that practice may well anticipate trick-or-treating. So that's the history, that's the background. Fast forward to modern times, and most of those original associations have now gone, certainly the theology that was underlying a lot of it. Halloween, as you'll know, is now largely seen as a light-hearted occasion. When those things that might scare us, like witches, ghosts and devils, they don't need to, because they're essentially harmless. That's where the costumes come in, with their comic scariness. And of course, Halloween is now established enough to have a special week. I was watching it last night on Strictly Come Dancing. There is a picture from a few years ago, slightly different judges, uh, two of them, and uh, it is established enough to be completely built into the schedule. That's pretty immovable, isn't it, in the Strictly Come Dancing schedule. Much of the growth of the popularity of Halloween over the last 30 years has been put down to the influence of America. And in many places, Halloween is now pretty strongly established as an annual event around which, particularly for children, fun and community can be found. Now, in some places, like Lewis in Sussex, where I lived for eight months in 1988, it's actually quite a lot more serious, with a lot more ritual and a lot more connection with modern-day witchcraft. But that's the minority. 
For most people within this country, Halloween is perceived, and I emphasise perceived, to be as harmless as having baddies in children's films such as Frozen and Shrek. So recognising all of that and being clear on it is important, but it's also, of course, the easy bit. The more challenging part of getting the most out of Halloween is our response. Partly to those historical roots, engaging what those roots are, understanding them and making what we think is an appropriate response to them, but perhaps more importantly, making a response to the role that Halloween plays in our society today. So the first of those now, responding to the roots of Halloween. All that stuff I was talking about earlier, about All Saints Day, All Souls Day, purgatory and so on. It's here that Halloween can be quite helpful in reminding us of the importance of that event in Christian history called the Reformation. By a happy coincidence, and it is a coincidence, Halloween is the same day, the 31st of October, as Reformation Day, when that event and its importance to the church is remembered. And the reason it's on that day is because on the 31st of October, 1517, Martin Luther, a German monk, made his famous challenge to the practice of indulgences by reputedly nailing his 95 theses to the church door at Wittenberg in Germany. Now, what were indulgences? Well, indulgences were sums of money that people paid to the church to get time off purgatory on the basis that those saints who formed the church triumphant, those ones I was talking about earlier, they had accumulated enough merit through their holiness to be able to be shared out with other Christians. The idea was that those saints had been even better than they needed to be, and they'd accumulated a bit of a sort of uh, a surplus of merit, and that could be tapped into if you gave money to the church. Quite a good fundraising device. I have toyed with over the years reintroducing indulgences, but I think I probably shouldn't. And Martin Luther proclaimed that this was totally wrong and totally inconsistent with the Bible. There he is there. These were the things that he said were wrong. He said, firstly, it was totally wrong to believe in purgatory. Secondly, it was completely wrong to believe that there were certain saints who were qualitatively different from normal Christians. What he said is all Christians are saints. They're all set apart by God. That's what the word means. And thirdly, and most importantly, what Martin Luther said, based on his understanding of the Bible, was that understanding people having to earn God's rescue, having to earn salvation and forgiveness, either through their own holiness, or through prayers or masses being said for them, or indulgences purchased on their behalf, that was all completely wrong. Purgatory didn't exist, Martin Luther said, and forgiveness, Luther and all the other reformers said, had nothing to do with the saints or what they did and was entirely down to this, God's grace, sending Jesus Christ as a totally free gift, a totally free gift of grace that people simply needed to receive with gratitude through faith. Now, these are really important truths. The Reformation may have happened a long time ago, but these are important truths for us to remember. And while the roots of Halloween and what it once met may now seem rather distant, and in many ways are, Halloween does form a good opportunity 
for us reflecting on those roots. And the amount of misunderstanding about God and the amount of misunderstanding about how to reach God that that all contained. One of the most important truths about Christianity is that none of us can earn or purchase our way to God. Because we're all sinners. We're all people whose lives fall short of God's perfect standard for them in all sorts of ways. And left to our own devices, we can do nothing about that. But an even greater truth is that the God of love who came in his son Jesus Christ to live, die and rise again has offered us through that his totally free gift of salvation. A totally free gift of grace. The grace of God that comes and is offered to every single one of us and offers forgiveness and then transformation. As we give our lives to him, we find significance, we find meaning, we find purpose in our lives because of this God of total and utter love. So that is valuable, I think. And Halloween, with all the stuff attached to it and all the things that have built up in it as historical roots, can be really helpful for reminding us of that legacy that we've been given by the Reformers and much of this church, Christ Church, has been built upon. But actually, the most important point that I want to make is the next one. Responding to Halloween today. I think it would be completely over the top to call Halloween, certainly in most places, perhaps not in Lewis, but to call Halloween a celebration of evil. I think it would be over the top to say that. But a strong case can be made for Halloween trivialising evil and playing a role in us not taking evil seriously. See, the truth is that particularly in middle-class societies, evil is something that most of the time we prefer to tell ourselves doesn't really exist. Compared to previous ages in history, we tend to put the problems of the world down to misfortune rather than malevolent causes. And we tend to regard suggestions that something's going on, something else is at work, as rather superstitious. We tend to, most of the time, want to dismiss evil as a credible concept. And Christians can do this as much as anyone else. Until, that is, something terrible happens. When something terrible happens, like 9-11, when something happens like 7-7, those two terrorist attacks, when those murders happen in Soham that were so appalling and horrendous, when we discover what Dr. Harold Shipman had been up to in killing his patients, people who trusted him, when events like that suddenly come along, only the language of evil seems appropriate. And it's then that we see the concept and the vocabulary of evil return with full force. Look at these headlines from the newspapers. They're particularly from the tabloids. But the language of evil returns with full force because people don't know how to respond to those events without invoking this language. However, and this is the crucial point, because we don't think about evil most of the time, because we're not used to reflecting on evil in any depth, when things like this happen, we tend to make a fairly immature response to them. 
Because we're not used to thinking about evil, we're not used to handling it as a concept, when something that seems completely evil comes along, very often we don't make a particularly sophisticated response to it. Very often we act as though evil is located purely within certain wicked people who just need to be dealt with for order to be restored, lock them up and throw away the key type thinking. And this can happen internationally as well. When a terrible terrorist attack takes place, we then get the language of evil that's invoked, but often very simplistically. I remember Tony Blair talking about, rather optimistically, the response to 9-11 being something that could rid the world of evil. George Bush spoke about being up against an axis of evil. And they weren't wrong in a lot of what they were saying, but the problem was the solution they felt was simply to eliminate that evil and it could be done and got rid of. And of course, that sort of simplistic approach we know only too well from the war in Iraq has actually led to more harm than good. And Halloween, harshly assessed, colludes with that process of a simplistic response to evil. Because Halloween can easily encourage the idea that evil is an odd, superstitious thing that we and our children can and should laugh at because it doesn't really exist. Do I think that Halloween produces an unhealthy fascination with evil and leads children closer to occult practices? Not really. Do I think that it helps confuse both them and us about something that's really quite important? Almost certainly. So what's the answer? What's the answer? How do we respond to Halloween? It's happening all around us. How do we make uh, a response to that if anything that I've been saying is stuff that you think is true? Well, probably not in most cases to have nothing to do with it. If we've got children, then for them to miss out on the excitement that comes from dressing up and going out in the dark with their friends to trick or treat and get all those sweets, it probably is a bit counterproductive. Our children won't particularly understand why all this fun is happening and they can't be part of it. I've bought uh, a couple of big tubs of sweets for the children that will come knocking on my door. I've bought a pumpkin. I've got this afternoon to try and carve out a cross in it and put a light in it. That's what I'm going to do. And when children arrive at my door tomorrow evening, they'll encounter me dressed like this. And I'll give them sweets, which will try to represent to them God's light and God's love. Now, normally I drive around uh, some of your houses to do this, but I'm under doctor's orders this year because of this uh, double hernia I've just had done. I'm not allowed to do that. So I'm going to stay at home, but I am going to dress up like that, and when the doorbell rings, I'll go to the door. So if you or your children want the vicar's Halloween angel experience, you need to come around to me any time uh, in the evening tomorrow. That might seem silly. It probably is in many ways quite silly. But what I'm trying to do there is put into practice what I'm speaking about this morning. I don't think the answer is to completely withdraw, and I don't think the answer is to just uncritically join in. I think the answer, as usual, with Christian responses to things in the world, is to be engaged, but to try and do it thoughtfully and differently. What I'm trying to do by doing that, and I'm not suggesting everyone should do it, I think vicars get away with a lot more than most people, 
is to engage with the fun of Halloween, to not be a downer, to, you know, respond positively and cheerfully and joyfully, but also with a really important message. And the message is this, that God's love is more powerful and more attractive than anything that is bad or evil within this world. So there are actions that we can take like that. But a more important way, perhaps, of getting the most out of Halloween is to refuse it to be our only response to evil. To refuse to allow our only engagement with evil to be once a year at a relatively trivial level. This is the really important point. You might be wondering why we had that rather weird passage read to us by Rob a little bit earlier from Revelation, with all of its talk of beasts and dragons and prostitutes and so on, rather off-putting. But it's a passage that's using all of that imagery and picture language to describe evil. And the evil that it was trying to describe was the evil within the Roman Empire. The evil that people at the time might otherwise have been totally blind to. See, the Roman Empire in the first century was full of spin, full of propaganda, much like its equivalents today. A bit, little bit like the empires of Amazon, Starbucks, Betfair, empires like that. The Roman Empire said, I emphasise said, that it was there to bring peace and blessing to all. Everyone could have a piece of it, and it was good for everyone. And impressive buildings and statues were placed everywhere to reinforce this. But the writer of Revelation, using the startling imagery of beasts, dragons, and prostitutes, combining it all together, why is he doing that, or she? It's to unmask the reality behind all of this spin, to expose the evil that the majority of people were being kept in servitude to in order to serve a rich elite. Rome had slogans like the Peace of Rome, Pact Romana, while enslaving millions of people. And the writer of Revelation is wanting to expose that. The Roman Empire had its own equivalents of Halloween to distract people's attention from this reality. And in our era, we've got to make sure that this trivial depiction of evil doesn't distract our attention from the reality that looks more like this. The reality of evil in our world and its horrible effects. The real evil is that there's crushing inequality and injustice and appalling poverty. That's what real evil looks like. So do Halloween and all its trappings if we must, but let's at the same time open our eyes and those of our children in an age-appropriate way to the reality of evil in this world. Evil isn't a few bad people doing a few bad things. Evil is a world badly out of kilter with the way that God made it to be. And lots of people suffering while a few people live lives of comfort. Now that might sound a bit too negative, especially for our children, but it isn't. Because once we acknowledge the reality of evil, and we allow our children to, 
we can then, by the same token, enable them to have a much greater appreciation of the greater power of God's love. The truth is that fear of bad things is a big issue for our children, much more than we often realise. Often they can be really fretting about the bad stuff in the world. And rather than trying to prevent them from discovering that evil exists, it's much better to teach them that it does in an age-appropriate way. There's bad stuff. We don't have to use necessarily the word evil. There's bad stuff in this world, but it's not going to win. That's the message our children need to hear. Yes, the bad stuff exists, but it's not going to win because the greatest power that exists in this world is the power of God's love. And this is where our doctrine, our understanding of the Christian faith is so important because that's what the death and resurrection of Jesus is all about. In a nutshell, what the death and resurrection of Jesus is all about is the evil in this world doing its very worst but being defeated by the power of God's love. And that is a massively attractive message for our children. Because what it shows is the bad stuff in this world does exist. We're not going to sort of hide that away from them. The bad stuff in this world does exist. It can do horrible and shocking things, but it is not going to win. There is nothing more reassuring for our children than to hear the message that the most powerful thing in this world is the power of God's love. I did an assembly on this a few years ago about what's the most powerful thing in this world and about it being God's love. And it was very interesting, the children who wanted to carry on speaking to that, who spoke to their parents about it, their parents came to speak to me about it. But of course, we can only talk about the power of God's love if we talk about the bad stuff that that love has to beat and destroy. So getting the most out of Halloween, I believe it's partly about realising that the best thing that we can do for our children, and ourselves actually, is to be honest that such a thing as evil really does exist. I think it's something that our culture finds really quite hard to do. One of the interesting things about the work that we do with people from a different sort of social uh, background is quite often they don't struggle in the same way that more middle-class people do to acknowledge that evil exists. Quite a lot of the people who come along to Grapevine or have come along to our night shelter in the past very often don't have the same sort of problem with the concept of evil that those from a more comfortable background do. It's a lot more challenging for us, really, to accept that it's a reality. But I think getting the most out of Halloween is partly about us being forced to engage with the fact that evil does exist, to avoid trivial depictions of it being our only engagement with it, to really seriously engage with the nature of evil, but to be equally clear with the really much greater and more wonderful truth that a greater power than evil exists in God's amazing and powerful and transforming love the love that defeated evil when Jesus died on the cross and the resurrection of Jesus that shows that God's love has won and will win and that all evil in this world will finally be driven away forever. Let's pray for a moment. Father God, there are so many challenges 
that we face, particularly those of us who are parents. But we pray that you make us brave in being able to avoid the dangers of not engaging with things at all that are tricky or just going along with them without question. And we pray particularly at Halloween that you would help us in our different ways to get our response in a balanced way that reflects these great truths that evil does exist, that it's not trivial, that it has a terrible effect upon this world, but your love is greater and more mighty. We pray that you'd help us to think this through and how to respond. In Jesus' name, amen.